Welcome, all of you on In True Crime Lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Secrets in Nakona, Part 2. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brandy. Good to see you again. Right. Seems like we were just here. <laughs> we were just Not here. Not that long ago. Um, we are going into Part 2 of The Secrets in Nakona, talking about the disappearance of Caleb Deal. We are. Uh we are rolling into our July break. Even though we're in July, we're finishing up um, our episode and we are having our last wine before we um, hit back in August. And we are having a dessert wine from Rustic Spur. Yes, we are sipping on El Gato Importante, which is a dessert wine, orange muscat is the grape, and it looks like they fortified it with brandy as I was reading. And, and so it's very um, citrus to, citrusy to me. Um, it is pretty mm-hmm. stout, though. It is it is a high alcohol content um, little sip and wine. So yes, definitely a sip and wine. But um, but yeah, it's the bottle good. is beautiful. Yeah, it's I got love a really the cool, Really cool label on it. So. Yeah. Thank you again, Somley and Rustic Spur, for letting us share your wine, your stories. Um, we we really just appreciate it. We've really enjoyed um, the month of June sharing our friends over at Helmley, our friends over at Rustic Spur and Somley. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, friends. Please go see our friends at Rustic Spur. Check out Somley. Um, it's a, just a marketplace of wine. Go browse. Um, so check them out. Thank you again for letting us talk about you. Um, this month. And yeah, we just can't wait to, uh, you know, hear from our listeners that go to visit our friends over at Rustic and Helmy. And um, if you have any questions about Salmi, if you have any questions about any of these wineries we talk about, you can reach out to us by email or on our social media pages. So come say hi, ask them some questions. Um, thank you again, Salmi and Rustic Spur. Uh, just a reminder, friends, like I said, we're going to take a little R&R in July. So after this episode, no new episodes until the beginning of August. But don't worry, Chris, we will be around. We're going to be highlighting past episodes. And we're going to be working on our presentation um, that we're going to be doing at the True Crime Festival in August yes. in Austin about Susan and Stacy's um, disappearance mm-hmm. here here in Texas. Um, so, yeah, so we'll be around. Um, but Everyone, I hope you're having a beautiful summer. Chris, in 2017, Judge Kevin Benton came out of retirement and was working the disappearance of Caleb Deal. He went back into the files and started from square one. Here is what he started to uncover based on his investigation and the details in the file. Is this typical? A judge will come out of retirement to review a case? Um, this is not the only person I have heard of coming out of retirement to look at something. I do believe um, someone came out of retirement either to assist in the investigation of Missy Beavers or to take over the investigation. I can't really remember, but this is pretty common. Um, a lot of police forces, Chris, just don't have the capacity to have a cold case unit, right? And the resources to allocate to have a cold case unit. So yeah, if they need extra investigators or extra people who are known for these things, then they will. They will go to them and ask them to, to take a look at this. Mm-hmm. He was, um, he obliged immediately. I mean, this is something that he had known about and um, wanted to look into. 
So in those first, um, now I mentioned how Ricky Howard was the main person of interest in Caleb's disappearance very early on in the investigation. So in those first two years, he disappears in 2015. Kevin Benton picks up this case in 2017. So in those first two years after Caleb went missing, the FBI and local law enforcement started to find things that put Ricky Howard really on top of that suspect list, okay? So by 2017, Ricky Howard is back in prison on gun charges. So during one of the searches of his homes, they found firearms. And since Ricky Howard is a felon because of the bank fraud charges... So they searched his home back when Caleb first... Yes, yes, they did. Yep. So we're going to be kind of going forward and a little backward. I... I, um, really just to capture this entire story, because in those very first two years, it really was suspicion and very, uh, nothing to pin in on him, right? There was just, they they needed to find Caleb. There were all these things around it that made him suspicious, but the actual finding of Caleb is, is what they didn't have. Um, All right, so because, Chris, they find the firearms and he's a felon, he's arrested and he pleads guilty to these charges and he's sentenced to five years in prison. So when Kevin Benton took over this case in 2017, Howard is in prison. So this kind of gave him a little bit of ammunition, a little bit of, of time, right? They know where he's at. He's sitting in prison. That's where they really want him to be. And they're going to now start their investigation, at least look into these past two years and then and then what has sort of unfolded and then what unfolds going forward. Yeah. All right. So Kevin Benton started looking um, into the history of Ricky Howard. So Kevin Benton goes back. He starts, he wants to look at the file for the original bank charges and he starts to uncover some really disturbing information. Now, while the FBI was looking into the bank fraud charges, Chris, they uncovered that several boys were named alleging abuse at the hands of Ricky Dale Howard. And why did this never come to the forefront earlier? We'll talk about that in a minute. That's actually a big unknown, but we'll talk about that. that So, So this information, though, even though the FBI agent on this and the people looking into this, even though they didn't have anything really to go on at that time to press any kind of charges, they left all of this information in the file. They left all these reports in the file. Now, when he was convicted of the bank fraud charges, a part of that conviction was he had to go to two years of sex counseling when he came out of the of the pen. When he came out of prison. Even though he wasn't convicted of anything for that? They just knew of the allegations? That's right. Allegations. And I think they knew. I think they believed it. Enough to give him two years of sex counseling. I mean. That's what I mean. Why, why were charges never brought? I don't. Like, this is the big. Mis- this is why I called this the secrets of Nakona. I don't know. I I don't I don't I just don't know. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit, but but really the honest answer is from from the articles I've read, from the research I've done, from the interviews I've watched, there just wasn't enough to pin it on him. I I feel like the judge thought there might have been enough, but he wanted him to kind of maybe hold some sort of accountability and responsibility for what was being said. And I think that's what this judge did. 
Um, I mentioned in part one, the truck suspiciously, suspiciously showing back up in the barn garage owned by Ricky Howard. Um, so this, again, was one of those top things that they looked at, Chris, was who the heck locked the garage if Caleb's key was sitting at his mother's house and the other spare key is sitting in the driver's or in the passenger side of the truck. Okay. Yep. So, and this is within just what, 48 hours of Caleb's disappearance, right? That he mysteriously, this truck comes up, right? Yep. So really this, this, um, in that first week, that first two weeks, there's going to be a lot of suspicion and a lot of discussion between Ricky Dale Howard and the family because he's not in prison at this time, right? He's walking among society. All right, so that that's the main. That was one of the big pieces. Um, they, Chris, they also did a search on Caleb's phone, and found that the last person he called was Ricky Howard. Now he called him sometime after four p.m. the day he went missing. They also used cell tower data to find that both. This is all from the initial investigation. This is all from the first two yeah. years. That's what I'm saying. The yeah. first. I mean, that's the thing. They uncovered all of this in two years. And it still wasn't enough, right? But they they got they got federal gun charges on him, right? They 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 got him in prison. But this information has lived in the reports. They're, they just didn't have enough. I mean, cell tower data. Some people would argue that's not as reliable as it should be, but I I think it's pretty reliable. But again, it's like. This kind of evidence, right? Just little bits of evidence that keep popping up. So because of the cell tower data, both Ricky and Caleb's cell phone were pinging near the property owned by Howard on the day he went missing. Right there. Cell tower data showed both of their phones in the vicinity of that garage that the truck is eventually found in. That's what makes you think what what was taking them so long and why were things not sticking? Because, I mean, that seems pretty damning. Mm -hmm. Well, after their phones pinged, one thing, um, after you know, they're following now the digital trail, right? So after their phones ping, shortly after that, within a few minutes, 10 minutes, Caleb's phone goes dead or turned off, okay? Uh, cell, uh, the cell tower data then shows Ricky Howard's phone traveling towards one of his ranches or a ranch owned by the Howard family. And then Ricky's phone is turned off shortly after that, never being able to actually pinpoint his final exact location. Hmm. So now they've got digital evidence, right? Um, The search warrants, they just keep coming. Chris, they searched in those two years one of Ricky's properties, um, well, multiple properties, and one of the properties had a burn pit. And in that burn pit, they found three computers and a phone. So why would anyone burn a computer, right? Not your usual brush fire, I guess. No, it's not. So they find a few computers and a phone. So these are the things that Kevin Bitten is uncovering as he's looking in this file, right? And so he's like, I'm going back to to step one. I'm going back and I'm going to talk to Ricky Howard's ex-wife, then was married to him then when Mm -hmm. Caleb disappeared, but since then was now not married and divorced. Um, so he's just taking a look at all of this and says, okay, well, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to start asking some questions. Another thing that Ricky Howard told authorities was that he found a smashed phone on the ground in that garage barn next to the truck. And he said he picked it up and then he threw it away. So Ricky Howard told the police he found the phone, right? 
I was cleaning. My, he said he was sweeping and cleaning. And he said the phone just, he he didn't know whose phone it was. It just looked smashed. He thought maybe it was Caleb's phone, but he didn't know. But because it was smashed, he threw it in the trash. So by the time authorities went to retrieve it, the trash had already been picked up. So they could actually never say whether or not this was actually Caleb's cell phone. Yeah, why even, why even bring that up if you're him, you know? Or why even say that you found it? Two years after Caleb went missing, Chris, his mother finds a treasure trove of incriminating evidence tucked away in Caleb's closet. She found a clock radio, you know, one of those little, like, just a clock for your alarm. Yeah. Um, she found a little camera inside of it. Uh, there was a manuscript on how to beat a polygraph. Okay. Ricky Howard was using, there were video, there were tapes of Ricky Howard recording himself, asking himself polygraph questions and then responding to that question on the same audio tape. So he was practicing taking a polygraph is what he was doing. Um, He would like ask the question and then pause. Right. And then like answer. Um, He I, had handwritten notes. I didn't even notes. know you could do that. Like train yourself to pass them, but. Oh, well, I'm sure he um, well, now. Listen, this is what's so interesting. These were from like 2011-ish going into 2012. And Chris, this is when he was released. This is when he was released on those bank fraud charges. And this is when he's starting the two years of counseling. And this is when he starts to probably realize he's in trouble. Like some boys have already come forward. Now they've got documentation. Um, if this comes up again, right? Or if I'm asked to answer some questions in a in a poly, and by the way, he failed a polygraph test when it came to Caleb Deal's disappearance. I do want to make that clear. He did fail a poly in those in those that first. You know, I don't know how long he, it, it took him to take one, yeah. but he failed that within those first two years. Uh, but Chris, she finds um, just it, it. And why would her son have this? Right. Yeah. Well, sounds like he's trying to build a case for it. Sounds like he wants to maybe turn that stuff in. Yeah, very true. Sounds like he knows a whole lot more about Ricky Dale Howard than his family knew that he knew, right? Like, I mean, what is happening here? I mean, she finds this stuff and... You you literally have I mean I mean I can only imagine how she was feeling and thinking when she's looking for her son and then she finds this kind of stuff and it was all about a, a sexualizing a child right answering the questions to pass a poly about abusing children mm -hmm. and they turned those over to police I presume oh yeah she yeah. called authorities and said that she had found this information you know and this is about the time. Um, he is already either, I do believe he was already in prison for those, um, gun charges when it's sort of like around the same time, the two year mark, um, is when, is when both of those sim things happen simultaneously. Um, okay. So now we have this, this stuff found in Caleb's closet. So search upon search, they couldn't find Caleb, Texas Rangers, FBI, they all felt Ricky was involved. Local authorities felt like he was involved in Caleb's disappearance. Um, and so did Caleb's family. Now, I mentioned in part one, Caleb's father and Ricky Howard, he called him his best friend. 
I mean, it's just this case is just heart wrenching. And he went to Ricky Howard, Chris. He goes to him within, I do believe, the first week, week and a half that Caleb was gone. And just based on the things that he was hearing, the inform- the story about Caleb going to Oklahoma, then the truck shows up, and then the smashed phone. And then Ricky, they find out Ricky Howard is the last person to have spoken to Caleb, you know, or he's the last person Caleb called. He goes to him and he knocks on this man's door and he sits him down and he looks at him in the eye and he tells him that he believes with every fiber in his being that he murdered his son. And he responds. He said he, he didn't change his face. Ricky Dale Howard just sat there and listened. And he says, I'm sorry you feel that way. And he says, well, that's what I think you did. And he says, he goes, I have to go now. And he gets up and he walks out. It's a pretty cold response. Yes, this man raised your children along with his children. This is not someone who just, who just you know, I mean, this family grew up together, took vacations. I mean, we have families like that. Imagine that. I know. And you just want them to tell you something. And he just wouldn't give him anything. He just wouldn't give him anything. Um, Like I mentioned, Kevin Benton went to Howard's ex-wife, and he also traveled to Tennessee, Chris, to the Howard's daughter, one of their daughter's homes. Now, because of the computers that were in the burn pit, he thought maybe there are other family computers around. Maybe there are other incriminating things on computers. What's the deal with him and computers? We've now found three in a burn pit. So he retrieves a computer from both locations, one from the ex-wife And that was in a closet and one from his daughter's house. Chris, those computers contain hundreds and hundreds of images of child pornography. But it also contained pictures of Caleb Deal. Years of pictures. Chris, like of him sleeping, of him sleeping, probably of him in the shower. Just and not not all sexualized pictures. They were just pictures, like obsessive sort of a lot of the, of of him. Um, Chris, they also found images of Ricky Howard actually molesting Caleb Deal. Mm, that's just crazy. I can't imagine as a parent how you would deal with that. And I do know that his mother actually, I don't know if his father did, but I know his mother saw these images because she said she did. And I'm, I know, oof, mm. I had to stop for a second. Tears were coming. And she said, um, like she, at that point, when she saw those images, you know, she knew, you know, that now the evidence makes sense in the closet. Now the disappearance makes sense. Now Ricky Dale Howard's incriminating behavior makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it just all came at her. As the investigation continued, um, clues just kept leading right back to him. Um, the investigation Later leads Chris evident, evidence. Okay, remember I mentioned the boys? Yeah. One of them was 13. So I couldn't find a whole lot of information. I do not have the police report on this file. Um, but Chris, one of them said that he was 13 years old when it started and it happened over 500 times in a four year period. Yeah, that's just. And how, these are boys this, that worked uh, for him. And how this happened for as long as it did. And, and these are the boys that worked for him. Just like Caleb did, like on his properties, doing 
in odd jobs, right? Um, but that's one person. And, you know, when you're a predator like this, and and, and by the way, he was, what, 50? Um, uh, let's see, he was 60 when these charges against him, I, I will tell you about what, um, because remember, he's in prison at this time when they find this stuff out. Yeah. So they want to keep him there. Um, but this is just one. And he's 60 years old when he's charged for this. How long has this been going on? I mean, these boys are now. Yeah, and you wonder what was, was on the computers that there were in the burn pit, too. So. Oh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Recover anything I mean, that, that. this is like years and years and years. And I don't, you know, okay. So he's sentenced to 30 years, Chris. He's a suspect in all of this. He fails that poly originally. The truck showing up, he finds the telephone that was broken. Um, they bring charges against him. Um, based on what they found on the computer and based on the evidence, they brought charges of sexual exploitation of a child, receipt of child pornography, possession of child pornography, and accessing child pornography. The sexual ex exploitation um, and um, some of the other charges were directly to Caleb, right? Because they see him in the act with Caleb on the computer. Yes. So that allows them to bring additional um, charges. Chris, he was sentenced to 30 years um, because because of this. And he still claims to have had nothing to do with Caleb's disappearance. Yeah, I mean, I think they would have to find a body. Then, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, let's talk about the body. And let's kind of talk about, you know, what did the families and people in Nakona know in Nakona about the abuse allegations against the boys, with the boys. So I am not going to sit here and say, oh, the parents should have done something. I actually have no idea whether the parents knew or not. I don't know. These boys, I can, okay, so bank fraud charges, they're ask, They're talking to people that, are, are, that know him. They're trying to figure out um, insurance claims, right? There was some insurance fraud along with the bank fraud. So they are interviewing people that have direct relation to Ricky Dale Howard or work with him. These boys worked with him. And, you know, gosh darn, if they did not just tell an FBI agent or a person in an authority, authoritative figure that what they were going through or what they had gone through. This boy is not a boy anymore. He is a man. And, you know, and, and I do believe there's only one or two out of, I do believe there were five or six. And that's just the ones well, that we, we know, know of, we right? Know, we don't know who all spoke up. We no, we don't. We don't know so any of that. That could have been the But here's what I can well. tell you. Because I also find it hard to believe that people just turn their blind eye on this. Well, you know. you know what? You think so, but you have a you have a town of three thousand people, and guess who didn't know Chris? The Deal family, well, and guess who was so close to him? The Deal family. If they didn't know, if they didn't know, well, I mean, that's who what kept I think. this like, secret? This is a pretty heinous thing. So I just I think people turn a blind eye. I don't I don't think people would turn a blind eye. That's because he was well liked. Is that why? No, I don't think people were turning a blind eye like we think they were. I mean, right? who knows? He could have paid the judge off. I don't know. I mean, but I just think as far as the town, like this being a known thing, mm -hmm. I just don't think that would fly with the small town. If you in live Nakona. in Nakona and you are very familiar with this case, 
like very familiar and you know about this information um did did was was there any and Chris there are people who have asked me to cover this case that either live in Nakona or near Nakona so I would like to know was there conversation about this was he going to sex counseling and nobody knew you know did the only people know were the judge and him and the lawyers and what about the boys that came forward you know uh, I mean well it wasn't like he reported as a sex offender because he wasn't convicted no. of that so no. I don't know how people would know. Just based on what, what you know, it's not that they ignored it based on just what, what Benton said, but he just said there just wasn't enough, you know? And I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I don't know. But anyways, the Deal family didn't know, Chris. That's who didn't know. And now their son is is gone. Yeah. And this man is responsible for that. I'll say that right here on a microphone because – he is clearly responsible for this. He's already, he's already, he's in prison and they know what the bad thing that he's done, right? That's what they can charge him with. And that's why they want him in prison. So he can't do this to another child. Now, the big question of the hour is why not just give up his location? And I think it's because he thinks he has a chance at parole at some point. Uh, no doubt. And he's years. not going to give it up. Let them look for it type of thing. Yeah, I would. I agree with that because there is a chance he could get on parole. He'd be old, but there's a chance. So now just buying time. The U.S. attorney said, although much of what happened to this young boy remains a mystery, we know one thing for sure. Before he went missing, he suffered at the hands of a child sex predator. He was preyed upon by a man his family knew and trusted. He says, our fervent hope is that one day he will be found. In the meantime, we are so we are proud to put the man who abused him behind bars. 